Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome to The Inner Life. So glad to have you along here on this uh, Wednesday, February 2nd, of course, Groundhog's Day. And apparently we do have six more weeks of winter on the way. That is according to the traditional uh, Groundhog Punxsutawney Phil out at Gobbler's Knob (laughs) and apparently saw his shadow. So more important than that, it's actually the feast of the presentation today. Um, that's something that has maybe uh, eternal <laughs> ramifications and and uh, impact in our lives. And today, as we begin our program uh, here, uh, this this hour of spiritual direction on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app, I'd like you to think of that person that you love. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a parent, perhaps a sibling. If you were asked to give a eulogy at their funeral. Say something about them. What would you say about that person? What would be the attributes you would highlight explaining why they were so special to you? A couple of years ago, while we were just driving around town running some errands, my wife, Baylen, she blindsided me with this question. She said, if I died, if you're going to say something about me at my funeral, what would be the top three qualities that you would talk about to describe me to others there? my top three personality traits. And I, I think I initially gave some sort of response that tried to, de- to deflect the question, something like, hey, uh, let's not worry about your funeral just yet. Uh, let's just, you know, be together until we're at least in our 90s. But Baylen, she wasn't going to let me off the hook, so she kept pressing me for an answer. Name those top three qualities that I would bring up in a eulogy for her. So I gave it a moment's thought, and I said, well, I think the first thing I would say is that you're truly a joyful person. You're happy almost all the time. You find joy in so many different uh, things in life, those small moments of life. And you don't let the little things get you down stress you out too bad. You're mainly just an optimistic, joyful person. And for the second attribute, then I said, well, you're a loving mother and wife. You just make such a warm home for our family, a safe place for the kids, regardless of what might happen to them while they're out away from the house. At the end of the day, they can come home. They know they're walking into a place that's full of love, and you've provided that setting for them. And of course, so many options here as I was trying to choose that final personality trait that I would say for Baylan. And I I gave it short consideration there in the car as we were driving, and I made up my mind saying, I guess for number three, I'd say you're someone who's just really full of energy and enthusiasm, and you love being impromptu. 
whether that's those little adventures that you welcome at a moment's notice, like making a quick run out at 11 at night to go and pick up some ice cream as a treat for anyone who's still up in the house, or maybe a quick detour on the way home from some sort of trip to stop at a park or a fun roadside attraction. And that kind of ties back in with what I said about you being joyful and enjoying all those little things in life. And so... I said these three things, I thought I had done a pretty nice job, pretty decent job of coming up with three different traits that represented and described my wife. And when I first started listing them, Belen had been listening eagerly, but after I finished that third one, she had this disappointed look on her face. And I didn't know what I had said. What, what did I say that was wrong here? And she was quiet for a few seconds after I finished, and she said, is that it? And I said, what do you mean, is that it? What did you want me to say? And Baylen said, I wanted you to say I was the funniest person that you know. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Baylen can be very funny. She and I, we both make each other laugh all the time, pretty much every single day. And she has a great sense of humor. But I told her, and I still stand by this, I said, if I had to pick a top personality trait for her, it wouldn't be humor. It would be how joyful and happy she is. Now, Baylen, she's also the primary person responsible for having me look seriously at the Catholic Church and eventually converting, coming into the Catholic Church. She grew up Catholic, I didn't, and her joy and her happiness, I mean, those were a big part of a witness that she gave of why I didn't simply dismiss the Catholic Church immediately. Today, we want to talk about those moments of being happy, of being joyful, and being blessed as followers of Jesus. Even at those times where you might not think that we have any reason to be happy, we're going to look at Jesus' words at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, where we hear him preach what we call the Beatitudes. And joining us as our spiritual director, Father Sam Martin, is back with us once again. Father Sam Martin is a priest in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin, the pastor of Holy Name of Jesus Parish in Wausau, Wisconsin. Father Martin, welcome back to The Inner Life. Oh, thanks, Josh. Good to be with you and uh, our listeners. It's always a blessing, and what a big feast day, and uh, I didn't know what the groundhog had decided, so it sounds like um, six weeks. Well, we're going to get it either way, Josh. So, but That's I what I was going to say. Yeah, those you, you live up, uh, you know, in Wisconsin. I'm over in Illinois, so the upper Midwest, it, it really doesn't matter what the, <laughs> the groundhog sees. We're just pretty much guaranteed those extra six weeks of winter when you're that far north. That's it. It comes with the territory. Good. Uh, I said, you don't even have to look for redemptive suffering these days. You could just step outside, enjoy that, and offer it up. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, so today, talking about the Beatitudes, and, uh, you know, started off here talking about my wife, joyful, happy, and, and I'm not just saying that. She really is probably one of the most joyful people I've, I, I've ever met in my life. It's one of the reasons I was just initially attracted to her when I first met her, but The reason I brought that up is because in those lines of the Beatitude, they always start, blessed are, and then Jesus will say whatever, you know, the descriptive word is, the poor in spirit, the meek, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So we've got all of these blesseds that are there, and this is right at the beginning of that Sermon on the Mount in the fifth chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel. But I've also heard it said, 
many times. That word can be said, happy are the meek, happy are the poor in spirit, happy are the clean of heart, the peacemakers. Um, But I think, you know, number one, it's a happiness that has to go deeper than we might, what we might typically think of as just surface happiness. When I think of it, it has to be kind of that long-lasting joy coupled with that peacefulness that St. Paul talks about that goes beyond our understanding. Is, is this the kind of blessedness that Jesus is talking about here, or is it something different? We always had a, uh, it, you know, it was a key point made by a scripture scholar to, he'd find you know, the different translations of the Bible, and you'd find the one that said happy, and he would make that uh, contradistinction that, you know, in Boethius, the great uh, philosopher back at the time of St. Benedict, I mean, he's describing happiness, but in a much more profound way. And uh, the words like happiness and love, sadly, because they're overused, they sometimes, uh, their meaning is eroded a little bit. So beatitude is probably the safer one for us, because it's it points to something transcendent, that you know, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. It's not a happiness that is, um, you know, just like you said, a kind of a shallow, superficial one that uh, it's like eating cotton candy. It only lasts as long as you eat the cotton candy. But sooner or later, you're going to realize that this is going to make me sick. And uh, it's just a sort of a ephemeral, uh, you know, very fleeting sort of joy, uh, deeper than the one, not nearly as deep as the one that God intends. So uh, we're all destined and we desire to be happy. Uh, that's a sign of a mental stability and, a, and the way God designed us. But what is happiness and what does it consist? Jesus is going to give us this, you know, here's the roadmap. And, uh, you know, that there wouldn't be a disconnect between happiness and blessedness, but uh, the beatific vision that we hope to enjoy someday, these things are a foretaste. They point in that direction. And once we've had a taste, the idea that God has is that he wants to animate that desire. He wants to fulfill that desire. He put that in us to help us to get to heaven and know why he made us. And you know, it's like Mark Twain said, the two most important days of our life, the day you were born and the day you figure out why. Well, Jesus is telling us, you were made for this. This is what will make you fully human, fully alive. Uh, you know, and, and as much as a person can uh, experience in this world. I mean, there's always a veil between us and heaven, so we're not going to be perfectly happy forever and ever, not yet, not until we die and rest in the Lord, but we can have enough of an experience to say that it's real. Heaven is, is a real place, and there's a real union that one day I anticipate with the Lord. I not, I'm not worthy of it. I'm not ready for it. But with God, as a good teacher, he's shown me what I can do, how I can spend this limited time, and this fallen planet, and come out a better person than when I was uh, little, innocent, full of wonder and awe, but uh, somewhat ignorant and uh, lacking in maturity. So we have our scars and uh, we have our struggles, but uh, the blessed life that our Lord wants to teach us, he gives us the grace. He he shows us, here's the road map, and uh, like anyone else, I mean, that is a good teacher, sometimes you you sit down by your student and I'll show you and I'll help you. And uh, God is obviously patient and magnificent in his uh, mercy toward each one of us. So I don't know if, if that addresses it head on, but it's not that to be blessed, ex- you know, it somehow excludes happiness, but it's more than the happiness as we understand it in the 21st century of the world today. Excellent. Yeah, no, that's, and that's, that's exactly what I was, you know, I've always thought here as I read this, is it's got to be more than just 
you know, happy because you, you know, somebody gave you a box of chocolates happiness. It's, it's something that's abiding and will last, especially when we look at some of these, you know, poor in spirit, mourning, um, when we suffer persecution for righteousness sake, um, you know, so many different things here that are talking about difficulties that, that we'll face, but we'll be blessed and happy and again, how can you be happy when you're in the face of difficulties or sadness? And that, of course, goes back to that comfort, something that is more than just that superficial happiness. Uh, Father, let's, let's start walking through these one at a time, if you don't mind, and look at what they say, what Jesus is saying, and how they can apply to us. So the first one we have in the Beatitudes, again, if you're just joining us talking about the Beatitudes with Father Sam Martin, a priest in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin, and looking at those Beatitudes, it's in the beginning of the fifth chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel in the New Testament of the Scriptures. First one says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Who are the poor in spirit? This is always, uh, at least personally, it was one of the more difficult ones to intuit, but I was uh, talking about the little flower, St. Therese, and, and how she discovered, you know, that it's not a material poverty, as if, well, if I just don't have anything, then I go to heaven. Uh, and then, obviously, the rich people, they can't because they have too much. Well, we know it's not easy for a rich person to leave the attachments of this life, but poor people can be attached to this life, too. They just don't have access to it in the same way. So it's a, it's a different kind of a poverty, and it's accepting our limitations. That um, Whatever the Beatitudes, whatever the path to heaven is, they used to say that the way up is the way down. So Jesus teaches this, the Sermon on the Mount, right? The Mount of Beatitudes of the, by the Sea of Galilee, a beautiful place, one of the prettiest places in the Holy Land. And uh, that the spiritual life is one of kenosis, of self-emptying. The grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, and then it, it bears a fruit that will remain. But if it doesn't fall to the ground and die, it's just a grain of wheat. And that's the struggle with uh, the spiritual life, is that God has to make the order of the world the way it once was, but it's been damaged, not destroyed, but certainly flawed by original sin. And so we, our great ones make their authority felt. That That's our definition of, of well, that's a remarkable human being, and usually a list of accomplishments, a curriculum vitae that's just kind of, wow, that's, that's magnificent. But the poor in spirit of the people that they accept the life that God gave them. Like, Therese was, uh, you know, I mean, like any other human being in the convent, she's looking around, and these are talented women, and, and people can be competitive. And in a religious house like that, oh, my gosh, it can be really... Uh, an overwhelming place, and she felt that her heart wasn't as big as the other sisters, her capacity for holiness. She just felt threatened by this and insecure, and many of us know what these feelings are like. And But then God kind of revealed, the Lord revealed to her that it doesn't matter the size of a person's heart, but only that that heart is filled with the love of God. So she always saw her heart as the size of a thimble. But that was sure. a consolation to her, that if I'm full of God's love, if I've received as much as I can, then I'm happy. Then I'm I'm blessed. I'm at peace. I'm I'm what God wanted me to be. St. Paul just a couple of weeks ago, his letter to the Corinthians, he's talking about you know we're not all a hand or a foot or a nose or an ear, but all those parts are important. But we didn't get to pick and choose which one we are. And so Therese is trying to discover. You know, like she felt called to be a priest. Well, that wasn't possible. She felt called to enter the mission uh, of the church and and you know go to far lands, and that wasn't going to happen either. So in this pivotal moment in her autobiography, The Story of the Soul, she says that I finally discovered that I am 
love at the heart of the church. That the church needs a heart, and that's an important, obviously, element of human life and in the spiritual life. So, but she discovered she didn't create herself, or this I'm going to make myself. This is the sad, you know, idea of this kind of elasticity of like I can be whatever I want. You can't, <laughs> you know. I mean, it, you are made by a, a perfect being in His image and likeness, and so you have certain gifts and you have limitations. Those aren't God's fault. Actually, those are a blessing. If we accept those in faith, if we accept our weakness, our poverty, then we start to love. We start to experience that dying to the relentless ego that wants to do everything and be everything, not for God, but for ourselves. There's a fallen part of us. And as that dies, then we can experience that poverty of spirit, that I'm happy with the life God gave me. I'm happy the way he made me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, it says in the Psalms. And I see that my life is a gift. And that's what Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. So to be poor in spirit, I think St. Therese, the little flower, she taught us that, you know, be happy, rejoice in the life that God gave you. It's a gift. It's not just for you, it's for others. But even so, it's a gift. You're made by a God who loves you unconditionally, and he wants to meet you and spend eternity with you. That's why he created you. He didn't want to spend eternity without you. Well, those are beautiful things, and St. Therese is a doctor of the Church, because she discovered something that was, uh, well, somewhat new, that we could be a saint just the way God made me. I don't have to do what everybody else is doing and be what everybody else is. No, you can just be yourself according to God's plan for your life, and you can become a saint. You know, the the other thing that strikes me here as I'm listening to you, talking about that spiritual poverty, um, that is kind of that way that opens the door for God to work in your life. Because if if you don't recognize that spiritual poverty, and I think, you know, Jesus is very deliberate, obviously, in the way that he communicates these. This is the first one because this is kind of that entrance for God to be working in your life. If you don't have that spiritual poverty, if you don't recognize how much you're lacking without him in your life, then you're not going to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. You're saying, I've got enough on my own. I don't need you, God. But Jesus, putting this as the very first one, is saying the kingdom of heaven awaits those people who recognize this and say, there, there is something I'm lacking, I need something, and they find it in God. You're spot on, Josh, because all conversion, and I mean, even the way we begin Mass, you know, we have the sign of the cross and the greeting, but then there's the penitential rite. It's like, you know, Houston, we have a problem. I mean, until we recognize that, you know, we can't have a Savior unless, well, saved from what? I mean, I, I'm doing okay. Like, anybody here have any problems? No. Well, you're going to fit right in to the world because, you know, the world is always intent on this independence, which is not freedom, but it's a really a, it's kind of a spiritual slavery. Whereas the psalmist, uh, Psalm 119, before I was afflicted, I strayed. I had life by the tail. I was doing great things. I had it all figured out. And in spite of all that, my heart was empty. I didn't know much peace. I didn't even know where to find it. I mean, I, I know a priest that he, uh, his uh, vocation story, he always titles, full at 30,000 feet. He was in a private plane flying somewhere, and he had everything that the world could offer. And he felt this gnawing sense that this is not it. I don't know what the meaning of life is, but my life is there's supposed to be something else. But he's a priest now, and uh, obviously it took some time and, and following the Lord. But, um, you know, that unless we can acknowledge that, uh, a real poverty of spirit, that I, I can't, cannot be saved by my own efforts. 
or anything in this world. I need a Savior, and I know who he is now. He called to me, and he broke through my deafness, is what St. Augustine says, that he was always with me, but I wasn't with him. He was always around me, but I had turned my heart into the things that he had made, and I plunged myself into those lovely things, but missed the person who made them. And so into that deafness, God's love finally found its mark. And Augustine became, obviously, a a towering saint of his time for all times, because um, every saint has a past, every sinner has a future, and that's a very encouraging uh, statement for a lot of us. Father Sam Martin, our spiritual director today on The Inner Life, talking about the Beatitudes today. And which of those Beatitudes have you lived out in your life? Have you seen that consolation or that promise that Jesus gave in the Beatitudes come about for you? Or maybe you're having a difficulty finding how you can live that out. One of those Beatitudes might be difficult. Uh, How do you try and practice humility or meekness? How do you try and show mercy to others? How do you try and be that peacemaker in our world? You can call in and join the program, 888-914-9149, Our phone lines are open for your calls right now. You can also email us, innerlife at relevantradio.com. We'll continue looking at the Beatitudes coming up next here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com Forester. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond. So glad to have you along with us during this hour as we look at the Beatitudes today. Talking with Father Sam Martin. He's our spiritual director. Father Martin is a priest in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin, uh, pastor of Holy Name of Jesus Parish in Wausau, Wisconsin. And the Beatitudes, as we look at them today, uh, how have you been able to live them out in your life? Or maybe it is difficult for you to live out some of those different things. You'd like to. You'd like to have the promises that Jesus gives associated with those Beatitudes, but it's difficult. It's difficult to be humble. It's difficult to show mercy to others. It's difficult to be that peacemaker in our world. Uh, You don't want to be somebody who mourns. I don't want that. I want to be happy. I don't want to deal with bad times and difficulties. I don't want to be persecuted for the faith. Uh, Well, you can call in and talk with Father Martin at 888-914-9149, And Father, before we uh, kind of continue walking through the different Beatitudes, uh, Norma has a question for you. Hi, Norma. Welcome to The Inner Life today. Um. Hi, good afternoon. I have uh, a question. Today, uh, I've understood a little bit better what the Beatitudes are, and I was wondering, is there uh, a book or somewhere where I would be able to uh, find uh, more um, uh, more of a—where I would be able to understand— what the Beatitudes are, that I would be able to, because I am looking for for guidance as to how to live a better Christian life. And I found today through your program that maybe if I was to read something or 
go to a website, maybe I would be able to understand what the meaning of the Beatitudes are. Thanks for calling in, Norma, and uh, you're just a little late. I think you could have gotten Patrick Madrid. He'd have a better answer than I will, but I, there are lots of things that you can find. I just think of, um, there's this blessed, pure Giorgio Frassati. He died in 1928, and he's called the Man of the Beatitudes, and there's a beautiful book about his life, and it kind of goes through what the Beatitudes are and how he lived them, and sometimes those concrete illustrations like oh then like the light goes on in our mind like that's what that means oh and then we see it in people's lives and their lived experience he didn't live very long he was only 24 but um, he's blessed when they opened his tomb in the 1980s he was incorrupt and uh, a towering saint uh, the man of beatitudes pure uh, pure giorgio frassati f-r-a-s-s-a-t-i that'd be a place to start but uh, once you get started You'll continue probably for many years learning and living the Beatitudes, and the world will be a better place for it, Norma. So God bless you. Norma, thanks for the call. You know, another uh, resource I might point you to that I really have found beneficial, um, Ignatius, the publishing company, has come out with a study Bible. It's just simply called the Ignatius Study Bible, and it has a lot of good resources all kinds of footnotes there, and almost every part of the New Testament that—I I have a New Testament version. Um, I don't have the Old Testament one here yet. I'm hoping to get that. But um, every part that I've read, it has where it'll give historical background. It might give uh, the thoughts of one or two saints or a doctor of the church who has given some sort of commentary, or perhaps they gave a homily— on whatever that part of Scripture is. So there's there's a lot that you can go into there. And of course, since it has all these footnotes that are referenced, if you want to read more from that homily or from whatever the document is that one of those saints or church doctors has written, you can obviously go then and follow up, and you'll have all kinds of reading. You, you probably wouldn't be able to get through all of it, but Norma, I hope that's also uh, a good possible resource for you there, too. Uh, Father, going back to the different Beatitudes, let's uh, keep on going through here. Uh, next one, those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. I'm sorry, uh, blessed are, are the meek. I'm sorry, that's, uh, that's the next one here. Um, blessed are the meek and that they will inherit the earth. What is Jesus talking about here? Is this just anyone who is striving to grow in humility, that they, they will be part of this group? And what does he mean, inheriting the earth? Yeah, I think it's uh, my understanding, of course, the New Testament written in Greek, so the, the word meek sounds like weak, but it's, uh, it's actually a verb that was used to describe how they would break a wild horse, you know, like a wild stallion is lots of power, but it's useless until it's trained. So it, the idea is power under control. Jesus has absolute power. It's always under control. He never uses it in any way except to serve, to build up, to, uh, to help souls on their way home to God. Whereas for us, power corrupts. So we don't use power in the right way. It's a dangerous thing in our hands. And so uh, the irony is that the people who claim that they possess the earth, they they don't. I mean, not in any way, shape, or form. They just, it's like Jesus has to remind Pontius Pilate that Pilate says, I have authority. And he says, Jesus says to Pontius Pilate, you'd have no authority if it wasn't given you from above. 
So these are things that the way we use the things that we're given, and they are not ours. We hold them with a light touch, but all good things come from God, and all authority, all power is his. If we use it the way God intended it, then we can serve, we can be good stewards, and, and we really do start to create a kingdom that is, is not of this world, but begins to come into this world. If we use power according to our own selfishness and, and arrogance, then we're going to be slaves. We won't possess anything. It owns us. It, it cripples us. It, hmm. it actually uh, can damage us in uh, terrible ways. So it's a, a way of, of showing that Jesus came to be served, not to serve. And so, no, it's the other way around, right? We're just making sure people, are, he came to serve. And that's uh, the goal of, of power is meant to be at the service of others. And those who live that way, like a St. Louis, who is a king, uh, he becomes holy. Uh, if we use power for our own ulterior motives, and there are lots of you know, examples in the 20th century of people who did just that, uh, it destroys us. And we won't possess anything. We're, we're Actually, we're a slave now to these things that we were meant to use for service. Hmm. Let's talk about the line, those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. What kind of... Uh, well, you know, when I think of mourning, it's, I think of sadness. And what kind of mourning is Jesus talking about here? Is he talking about the sadness that we experience in day-to-day moments, you know, somebody lets us down, maybe the passing of somebody, uh, you know, a relationship that for some reason falls apart. Is he talking about a deeper spiritual mourning that we would be going through here? Oh, Jesus is at every level, all at the same time, I think, and it just depends on where we're at. I mean, I like what they say about the scriptures, that they never change, but every time we read them, we're in a different place. We've changed. We're always changing, and that's the uh, the good news, in a way, that it meets us where we're at, and it takes us to a deeper place. So I think mourning, you know, just confronting the reality of sorrow and the hurts of our life and the injustices and the terrible things, loss is a very overwhelming experience when it's someone that we've loved. So he's inviting us to mourn. I mean, we try to escape that if we can. I mean, you just see, like, the modern phenomena, like, no funeral, no... Uh, no visitation, nothing. Just put them in the ground. Just, you know, we'll have a, uh, a celebration of life, which we need to celebrate, but we can't unless we've mourned. I mean, if you've ever been to a funeral that's heart-wrenching, then afterwards there's, a, there's laughter, there's joy, there, because you can't, it's really an intense moment, but you need that. Grieving is loving. It's healing. It's, it's giving hope. It's helping us to, so Jesus is saying, mourn, face the struggles, and then I'll, there will be a comfort. Don't face the struggles. Avoid it at all costs. Whatever, you, you know, use whatever compensatory behavior you like, but don't mourn. There can't be any comfort. I mean, it's, um, so I think that just inviting us to, to where is my heart? I'm sad. I'm angry. I'm, I just can't understand how God could have permitted that. Okay, that's a place to start. Let's, you know, with courage and uh, with the accompaniment of family and friends and so forth. That's what the church is. She helps us to mourn, to like, right. you know, you're sad, all right. If we don't, right. it comes out in ugly ways. Well, and, you know, there's kind of the very famous example of taking that sadness, that mourning, that regret that two <laughs> men who were very close to Jesus had once he was crucified, Peter, who betrayed him, uh, or denied him, I'm sorry, and then Judas, who betrayed him, and one of them allows himself to find that comfort 
through Christ, and the other one doesn't. The other one gives into despair. Yeah, the mystery of the cross, it's inescapable, So, but how do we respond to it? I, like uh, Lenin, when his brother was, was killed, that uh, Lenin ripped the, he was wearing a cross around his neck, he ripped it off, spit on it, and was done with it. Now his contemporary, Jose Maria Escriva, whose family went through lots of sadness, dad lost the job, he, a couple of his siblings died, he, he was building a house of cards one Sunday afternoon, and he knocked it down, and he said, that's what God does. You build something beautiful, and he destroys it. They were both wrestling with the cross, the mystery of iniquity, the mystery of evil. But obviously one took the path that led to the God who was on that cross, and he became a towering saint. The other said, there is no God on that cross. There can't be. There can't be any meaning to suffering. He wouldn't mourn. He wouldn't face it. And he ended up doing all sorts of damage to his own people. So we, uh, we're given a choice, and, uh, and that's why the church has to be a, a mother who prays for her children, because uh, if not for prayers of others, we make bad choices, and then we give up, and that leads to other sadnesses, too. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's the next one. If you're just joining us, we're talking about the Beatitudes here during this hour of the inner life with our spiritual director, Father Sam Martin. And uh, blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That next line that we hear from Jesus, for they will be satisfied. This one might be maybe the most straightforward of any of the Beatitudes, maybe the easiest, I think, at least initially to understand. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, I think Jesus is addressing, you know, these demons of futility that, you know, I've been working and I've been trying and it just doesn't make any impact, so I quit. You know, I mean, like, you know, Roe versus Wade, almost 50 years of this terrible tragedy of, of like, some lives are not worth living and we get to decide who and we're not going to protect them. And so, uh, and all the damage that that's done to the children their parents and the people that work in the industry. I mean, one could understand that I used to be pro-life. I used to fight. I used to be a legislator. I used to do all these things, but I gave up. I mean, it's just, it's never going to happen. And Jesus is saying that's not true, that, that in the end, good will prevail. I mean, it was Gandhi himself uh, who was fascinated with Christianity. He never became a Christian, but he said, when I despair, I remember that all through history, the ways of truth and love have always won. Now, there have been tyrants and murderers, and for a time they can seem invincible. But in the end, they always fall. Think of it. Always. So I think that uh, Jesus is saying, if you are working for justice, you're not always going to see the fruits of your labor. And, uh, you know, we've been at this for a week now. I mean, how long is this going to take? Oh, a lifetime. But they shall be satisfied. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no doubt about that. And uh, he even says, in this lifetime. So persevere, be courageous, uh, believe that God can't deceive or be deceived. He can't tell us something that's not going to happen. How, when? Well, we think Roe versus Wade might come down this year. And if not this year, it will come down. Inevitably, it has to, because evil will destroy itself. And abortion is evil. It's a terrible thing. The devil was a murderer from the beginning. He gets us to do his dirty work, and that's where we get damaged. But God's grace is so powerful that he says, hunger and thirst for righteousness, keep that hunger and thirst, keep working. He said, I'll take care of the satisfaction. You'll see. Mm -hmm. Father Sam Martin is our spiritual director as we're talking about the Beatitudes today, and our phone lines are open for your phone call, 888 Which of the Beatitudes have you lived out in your own life? And you've seen some of that that Jesus has promised in those lines that he speaks. Blessed are 
whatever it might be, those who mourn for you will be comforted. For those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied. Maybe you're having a difficulty living out one of those. It's a struggle for you to uh, be that person who is pure of heart, clean of heart. Uh, It's a struggle for you to show mercy to others or to try and be that person who brings peace into all the different situations and encounters that you have in your life. You can call in and talk with Father Sam Martin, 888-914-9149, More with Father Sam Martin coming up next here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Today we'd like to thank Juanito, who is listening in California for donating his Nissan. Join in with thousands of other listeners to donate your old vehicle by visiting relevantradio.com car today. Back to the inner life. I'm Josh Raymond, and our spiritual director, Father Sam Martin, priest in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin, pastor of Holy Name of Jesus Parish. As we're going through the Beatitudes, the lines that Jesus speaks at the very beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, and what they mean, what they mean for us here and now, how we can apply them in our lives, how we can understand them so that we can live them out, so that we can. Hold on to those promises that Jesus gives us, and uh, if you've missed any of the earlier portion of the program, I'd very highly recommend and encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast when it's posted uh, once the hour is over. A lot of good insight and reflection from Father Martin today uh, going through those. Uh, Father, let's pick back up and continue going through. Um, We ended up uh, talking about uh, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Next one, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And this just sounds like a, a very kind of standard, you know, um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What goes around comes around, you know, those kinds of things. And if we are merciful, we will be shown mercy. Ultimately, God's mercy, that's the biggest, uh, <laughs> that's, that's the most important mercy we can ever be shown in our lives. Yeah, I just... Uh... I gave a little talk yesterday for our adults about, you know, what are things that are distinctly Catholic, and it has to be, in some form, the mercy of God that we're supposed to be witnesses. So I used this scene at the end of the movie, The Scarlet and the Black, which is a true story of World War II in Rome, and this Monsignor O'Flaherty, and uh, and this Colonel Kepler, who was the head of the Nazis, and the back and forth, you know, that the Christians are trying to save the Jews and get them out of harm's way, and, and the evil... Uh, element they're trying to destroy God's chosen people and so at the end there's this you know this desire for Colonel Kapler not to spoil the movie but he's got a wife and children and he wants this you know underground railroad to take them out of harm's way and Monsignor Flaherty's like are you kidding me I mean after what you've done you have the audacity to ask me for a favor and then he just storms off but later on we know that um, that the wife and children were somehow whisked away safely into Switzerland. And, and when Kapler finds this out, he just can't believe it. Because, I mean, his sense is that, well, Flaherty had betrayed the faith, and there is no God, and there's no mercy. You guys talk a good game, but you don't live it. But in fact, uh, Kapler had one visitor for all the years he spent the rest of his life in prison, you know, crimes against humanity. But the one guy came every month was Monsignor O'Flaherty. And uh, because of that, 
Kepler, at his own request, was baptized a Catholic in 1959. And that's our faith, is that mercy points out that that's poison, don't drink it. I love you enough to tell you that that's not good for you. But I also love you enough to stay with you if you do drink it and uh, show you the way out, you know, the way out of the mess and the way out of the hurt. So Jesus is merciful. There's no doubt about that. It cost him his life. And he said, that uh, come and follow me if you want to live my life. Come and see. Right. Take up your cross. Right. Yeah. Uh, Father, let's move on to the next one. Blessed are the clean of heart or the pure of heart. They will see God. That's one of those that I think in our world more than ever um, we have so much out there that wants to rob us of purity or that cleanliness in our heart. And we might read this and say, being clean of heart, is that even possible? In the, in the Bible, um, you know, there's that one part towards the end of the book of Revelation where it says nothing unclean will enter heaven. And that's the part that makes me think that clean of heart, they will see God because nothing unclean can enter heaven. And this is like, you know, I mean, we think about the, the terrible things that uh, prey on our, our chastity, that the beautiful love that God has, and he wants us to not ever use anyone as an object. And there are so many affronts to that today, that, uh, and it's the biggest export in the United States, I mean, much to our chagrin, uh, that we're, you know, this is something that we make money off of. It's terrible. But, um, but then there's the Mother Teresa of Calcutta insight that, you know, Christ in distressing disguise, that you can see God, Christ is passing by all day, every day, in every human being that he created and redeemed, and now sends the Holy Spirit to give them hope and to show them and you and me the way to heaven. So, but Mother Teresa would chastise people that didn't pray much, especially priests. She'd say, Father, are you praying? Well, a little bit. I'd get my basic prayer said. Is that it? Because, Father, if you don't let Jesus help you, I mean, you can't love those people. You can't. There's no way. You, you think you're going to do that on your own? And that's just, Mother Teresa was such a realist and just so wise in her life that if you spend time with the Lord, you'll begin to see him everywhere. If you don't, you won't. I mean, you just wonder if there is a God. I mean, in this world, in this place, it, so that's where the invitation is that, well, come to me. If you're weary, you find life burdensome, I will give you rest. And then he'll send us out and then we'll say, gosh, Lord, I never noticed you in that person. Well, Christ in distressing disguise. Even Mother Teresa, who prayed four hours a day, would say, some days it's hard to see him, and some people. But he's there, we know he is, and it's because our hearts are small, not because he's not in the people that he created and redeemed. Hmm. Next one is, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And this not only seems like we receive kind of that special title, being called a child of God, but as I read it, it appears to me that it's implied that others will also recognize us as children of God. You know, we, bringing peace to the world will be a witness that others can't help but acknowledge that we are working on behalf of our Father in Heaven. It's an attractive thing. I mean, to be a friend of Jesus, it has a magnetism, and it, uh, it just works. I mean, because God designed it. He said, just, why don't you just live the way I've uh, taught you and... and you know, see how that goes. And the apostles, they, they came back and they would just, you know, they found it remarkable. They, they would just, you know, not brag about themselves, but that this is something that's so powerful. We can see how it affects people. And, you know, Pope Paul VI, now a saint, uh, said that if you want peace, work for justice. 
and justice is right relationship. So we always focus on a relationship with the Lord, and he wants that to be a friendship. He's no longer slaves, but he calls us his friends, a friendship among very unequal people. He's a divine person, and we're his children. But even so, if that relationship is in place, that affects our family and our friends. It affects uh, the way we relate to strangers. I mean, there's a certain joy, and this is what Mother Teresa was uh, always in her life, I mean, she said, smile. That's the first experience of the gospel that many people will ever have. And how do you smile when you don't feel that, except that for her it was never inauthentic, never insincere. It came from her time with the Lord. She prayed every morning. She received Jesus in Holy Communion. And even though, you know, we don't love God merely with our emotions, uh, so there's something deeper is what that implies. And so to be children of God is, is what we already are. St. John says so, but just to recognize that and that right relationship that we have with the Lord affects the way and that other people, why are you all so good to me? Why are you patient? Why do you keep helping me and no one else? I mean, they've given up on me and I wouldn't blame you if you did too. So there's something that comes and it comes for the asking. You know, God is generous. I mean, he, so many things that he doesn't give because we don't ask or we ask wrongly with the wrong attitude right, right. and uh, we yeah. miss out on the things that God would do through us if we let him. Then the last part here of the Beatitudes, it starts off, Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That has the same promise as the very first one that we read, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So it's almost like we've come full circle, that this is all almost, you know, part of just our spiritual journey here, that we we see that reward at the beginning, but keep your eyes kind of on the prize almost, it seems like Jesus is saying there in this last one. And then he takes it, and instead of making it, blessed are they, somebody else, he makes it personal. No longer is it they, now it's blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. So we've got a couple of things here that happen. Again, we have that same promise that we had at the very beginning, and we have it changed from blessed is somebody maybe abstractly or somebody different than me to he's directing it right at me. Yeah, and I think that's intentional to not make us uncomfortable, but to say that this is your life. This is a mirror. That's what the Scripture is, to show you where you are and uh, how you're living and what you're called to be. So uh, that makes us, uh, it jars us a little bit, but... That's what the Lord, I mean, it, he doesn't want to leave any of us neutral, like, you know, that lukewarm, and no, he wants us to be engaged, not just existing, but put our hand to the plow and fully, uh, you know, man fully alive is the glory of God, said um, uh, St. Irenaeus, so we want to live that way too. And uh, you just think of um, the joy uh, that the apostles experienced when they were being persecuted, and that was, once again, something that they would have found shocking. I mean, this is not yeah. the same group of guys that was locked in the upper room. And uh, so what Jesus seems to be promising is that heaven will come into this world at times, and it will come in places that you wouldn't expect it, places that would seem bereft of hope. And I mean, at the foot of the cross, that there's, a, there's something very holy there. There's a scandal, but there's something that this is God's love, so great that it could embrace a, a terrible, unjust death and say that now, uh, you know, this like Simeon this morning, now, Lord, let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. He said that he would claim his people. He would save his people. And on the wood of the cross, he did. And so that's our great sign of hope. And I'm thinking of uh, Bishop Von Twan, who was in prison in 
Vietnam for 13 years. Nine of those were solitary confinement and uh, terrible. I mean, the, the persecution that he suffered. But they smuggled hosts and wine, and he didn't have any vestments or uh, chalice or anything else. But he knew the Mass by heart, especially the words of consecration. So he would put the little piece of host in one hand, a little drop of wine in the other. He'd celebrate Mass, and he did that over and over again, many, many times in those years. And he spent time in adoration, and they, they had a way to get him a little something he could make into a pix. He came out of there not just sane, which would have been you know, remarkable in and of mm-hmm. itself, but he came out of there having already forgiven the people that did it to him. They took the best years of his life. For what? I mean, that he was a Catholic priest. I mean, what a threat that must be, but even so. Uh, and he's a, they made him a cardinal, and he gave the, the Lenten uh, retreat when Pope John Paul was still there in, in Rome. And so here is <laughs> the wisdom of the saints. It comes through suffering. When you find a wise person in the ways of God, there's always a cross, always. But mm-hmm. near the cross, the Blessed Mother and lots of other holy men and women that have been there. And on the cross, God's only begotten Son, who's not afraid of anything, has never been afraid of anything because he's love. And love, it casts out all fear. Father, Callista is listening to us in Chandler, Arizona. Callista, we only have about a minute left here, but wanted to get your call on before the hour concludes. Well, thank you. I just thought maybe this could help somebody else who might be going through the same thing, but uh, recently, I went through terrible attacks against purity. It was so bad, I could no longer tell what was my sin, what was my, the weakness of my mind, and what was temptation. And trying to go to Mass and approach our Lord in Holy Communion, I, I, I wanted to hide and run away instead. I couldn't get control of my mind or my thoughts. So finally, I just surrendered my will. I said, Lord, I just give you my will that I, I don't know why I'm so weak or what's going on, but I don't want this. And I kept going to Mass, and I kept going to Holy Communion, and of course confession, you know, to the best of my ability. But I I want people to not give up. If they're struggling with that, and they're staying away from the sacraments or from Mass because they can't, you know, stop their thinking, or they feel overwhelmed by sinful thoughts against purity, just give God your will, and that will be enough. And, you know, go to confession, but don't avoid the sacraments or Mass if you're going through something like that. Uh, Father, uh, just about uh, 30 seconds here, but wanted to get your thoughts on what Callista said, too. That's, that's a beautiful testimony, and it's the courage of the saints. It says that God would never give up on me, ever, and so I should never give up on him, no matter what. The devil is threatened. I mean, Callista, he must be living a good life, because that's uh, an indicator that the devil comes after us. But he loses. He always loses, and we know definitively on the cross it ended for him, and it began for us. Father Sam Martin, about 20 seconds for a final blessing for our listeners here on the program. May God bless, guide, and protect each of you for all of your days. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. All right. Thanks so much, Father Martin. Uh, Always great to talk with you. Also want to say a thank you to Nick Sentovich and Patrick Alog for their help in producing the hour today. And want to thank you for listening. And of course, if you missed any portion of the broadcast earlier in the hour, go back and listen to the entire hour on the podcast. It'll be posted at relevantradio.com. And on the Relevant Radio app tomorrow, we're going to talk about a maybe difficult subject, natural family planning. And what does that mean in a married relationship? And how do we live that out? We'll see you tomorrow here on The Inner Life. Have a blessed day.